And good morning. Can I do something this morning? Can I recognize somebody this morning? Lee and Mary Jane down here. 64th wedding anniversary today, right? No? This week? Was this week? Just had it. You just celebrated 64 years. Really? That's amazing. I haven't even been alive 64 years yet. Isn't that awesome? So you want to know the secret of how to make it 64 years in marriage? Talk to them after the service. That's a great accomplishment. And in our day, we just got to congratulate them. Right? It's neat. Well, let me just tell you a couple things before we get going this morning in our text. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to attend the annual meeting, if you would. Because I'm going to take some time with you during that night as well and maybe do a Q&A with you because there's some questions that surfaced in the life group. And honestly, they were good questions. You know, one of them was, Am I, who's running the church? Uh, the answer to that is hopefully God uh, through the Holy Spirit. But uh, it's, uh, your elders are, your pastoral team continues to do so. Uh, I can't make decisions. I make recommendations to you. And uh, just to let you know where we're going this year, we've, if you follow our five-point plan that IPM has, we uh, connect with people, attempt to build relationships, and we've done that. We've enjoyed that, as we mentioned to you the other day. And then we do church assessment. We've done that. And then the next step is fatil- facilitate action. So that's what this year is going to be about and uh, just beginning to make movement and, and do some stuff. And we'll try to keep you informed the whole way in that process. But I do want to say this to you. One of the things we want to focus on so that you know and you can begin to pray, because I think prayer is one of the keys to this whole process. One of the things we want to do is we want to see Mount Calvary build healthy relationships with each other. Because the one thing that takes place is when healthy relationships take place inside a church, the world will do this. The world will know us by our what? By our love. And so we want to just focus, and one of the main focuses that uh, PJ, Ray, as your staff members and myself will have, is how can we facilitate healthy relationships and build healthy relationships in our church. And uh, so that's going to be one of the primary focuses as we go forward uh, this year. And I hope you'll, you'll keep that in prayer, that, that we can just break down every barrier that Satan might use to try and cause any kind of division wherever it may surface, and that we can just deal with it in a biblical way, in a proper way, so that the end result will be uh, restored relationships. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is about one thing. Christianity is about a restored relationship. It's a restored relationship with us, with God, because sin broke it, and Christ had to come and get us. And in going to the cross, as we sang about today, the cross is the pivotal point you know is the cross the greatest display of god's holiness or is it the greatest display of god's love or is it both it's both because there was the display of his holiness as he dealt with sin but there was the greatest display of his love as he did so for all of us and that cross and his his perfection of life that was lived and his death that was died is what enabled us to have a restored relationship with him and once the relationship is restored with him it enables us to build relationships with others 
and to restore those relationships. And that's what it is all about. So I think about Calvary getting to know you. It's not about your church being cool. That's not what the world's looking for. And it's not about us just kind of being looking like the world and being like the world. That's not what they're looking for. What they need to see is the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And the difference he makes, and what they need to hear is what the Bible teaches. And they need to hear it plainly and clearly and compassionately. Because we preach it with this belief, and we teach it, and we share it with this belief. None of us are worthy. None of us. The songwriter said, I am not worthy the least of his favor, but Jesus left heaven for me. And so all of us, if, if we get into this arena of worthiness, all of us, gotta, we have to take a seat because I am not worthy. And, but what we show is Christ is worthy. And Christ has given us his righteousness. And we show that, you know, it's not about being, it's about being right with Christ. And so we want to be as upfront as we can with the truth that we believe. And, and we also want to, we want to make sure that they understand what the scriptures say. But we want to say it in compassion because were it not for Christ, our lives would be messed up. In fact, in many ways, our lives are still messed up, but his life is perfect. And that's where we're at. So all that to, to just kind of say where we're going this year as we get into this year. How long will this process be? I'll just tell you, as an IPM, we try to get through this as fast as we can. I'm not going to try and stay here as long as I can. We try to work this process, get in and get out, but yet do the job properly that needs to be done. And so we'll see what this year holds, and we'll see what God has in store, and we'll see where it goes and, uh, and that. Let me, let me talk to you today about some things and, and deal with it, Luke chapter 16. And let's talk about bold. What is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to becoming a Christian? As you begin to talk to people, and, and really evangelism takes place as a result of relationships that are built. Because people need to see that you're, they need to see the light and they need to feel the salt. And, and you know that we're salt and light in this world. We're basically fertilizers and sanitizers is what we do. Okay? And, and we shed light on this whole thing. And, and what they need to see as the Bible gets into it, let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify God who is the one who redeemed you. But what is it, as you deal with people, and as I deal with people, what is it that seems to be the biggest stumbling block, or one of those stumbling blocks, that keeps people from coming and becoming a Christian? The answer is simply this. Christ demands control of every aspect of your life. And they know it. They know it. Every aspect of your life. I dealt with a lady some years ago. She had multiple personality syndrome. And I had never dealt with that before, but she'd gone to different counselors and therapists and all. They discovered that she had in her some 64 different personalities that she could play out, turn off and on, really at any time. And uh, multiple personality disorder, it was a weird thing to deal with. And so we began to say, Christ is your answer. And sat in my office one day, and she made a profession of faith and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. 
And as I began discipling her and said, well, as she began to share her salvation, she said, well, th that was just that one personality in my life that did that. The other 63 didn't do that. I'm like, say that again. But that was her experience. And, and, and so we began to talk about, but Christ, when he redeems, goes after every area of your life. And over the course of a lifetime, as you know, he leaves nothing unturned. The neatest thing about this is this. He always makes it better, even though you have to walk through difficult times. Christ, when he touches a life, makes a life better. And we can say that by experience, but we know that he demands every aspect. And so as people wrestle with salvation, they get that. This is going to touch every area of my life. And so they struggle to come because they don't want to let go of some things in their life. And that, in essence, is what was going on in our story. Because what happens in chapter 16 of Luke, verse 14, it says this, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money, they really loved their money. These guys are driven by materialism. They loved their money and as a result of loving their money, they scoffed at the teaching of Christ that is in Luke 16 that we'll look at. That's their response. So did they get what he said? They were able to understand what he's saying is, I want every aspect of your life, and I want this. You see, the Bible teaches us this, that where your treasure is, there will your heart be. In other words, where you invest is, what, is where your heart is at. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. We were sitting in a staff meeting, oh, it had to be 20 years ago, and I remember, in fact, it was longer than that, because I was still the youth pastor at our church, and as we were in a discussion, we were going back and forth as a group of pastors, and we got talking about this verse, and somebody said, no, where your heart is, there your treasure will be, and and I remember my dad said, that's not what the verse says. And we had a little argument. And in our staff meeting, we had to take time to get the Bible out and see where your treasure is. There is where your heart will be. So as you get into this, Jesus is going to teach you can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in mammon is the King James word. Or we could say you can't serve God and wealth. You can't have both. Why? Christ wants complete control of your life. He wants every aspect of your life. So it comes down to this, as we wrestle this, so then it comes over to us as Christians because parables were primarily aimed at Christians. Parables, as Jesus gave them, were primarily designed to give truth to people that were believers in Christ and to conceal truth from those that were not. So then you have to ask this question as we get into this text and get to the heart of it is, how do you know if you are really missional in your living? Because it comes down to this. We can come to church. Great to come to church. We can worship. Great to worship. But at the end of the day, what we do when we leave here is critical, and we're going to spend a lot more time out there than we're ever going to spend in here. A lot more time. And so we ask this, are you missional in your living? 
is your living and the way you live your life and the intentional living of your life, is it missional? How do you know? Well, I say it this way. Look at how you spend your money. Look at your checkbook. Look where your money's flowing. There's two things I think tell us how missional we are. One is where our money goes, and two is what our schedule reflects. For me personally, years ago, I took off the watch. Because in the early days of my life, I found my life was driven by a time. So for me, I got rid of that thing. Because for me, I wanted this. I want my life to be driven by priorities, not schedule. My schedule should reflect my priorities. My checkbook should reflect my priorities. And if you want to know your, your, if you're missional or not, take a look, look at your schedule, look at your checkbook, and tell it, what does it tell you? What does it say to you? How missional are you in your living? Well, in Luke chapter 16, as we get into this story of the prodigal, really the prodigal manager, we can call it that, we're going to see in this particular account of a story where Jesus deals with missional living. In fact, he says this, again, where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. But he goes on and he says this, verse 9, the heart of this text. The key verse to this parable and understanding it because Jesus tells a parable but then he turns to his disciples to give an explanation and he says this to his disciples he says and I tell you make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth or money so that when it money fails they may receive you into the eternal dwelling make friends use your unrighteous money to make eternal friends so the missional component of this particular parable is critical to understand critical to understand that Jesus is sharing something with his disciples here that is very important for all of them to understand. Now, as we get into this particular story, it's an interesting story. It's one of the weirdest parables in the Bible. It, it just, it, it's, it, it's weird. Let's go there to Luke chapter 16, and let's just take time to look at it. I think every now and then, Jesus uses shock therapy to teach. Okay. An example of shock therapy would be this. If your hand offends you, cut it off. That's shock therapy teaching. If your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. How many people do you know over the course of time in your lifetime that have plucked out their eyes? How many people are you aware of that have cut off their feet or cut off their hands? So did Jesus intend us to pluck out our eyes or cut off our feet or chop off our hands because they are instruments that cause us to sin? The answer is no. But he taught in a way to try and get across the point that sin and falling into sin and things that lead us into sin or us leading people into sin are, is so offensive that God wants us to do radical amputation. He wants us to do whatever is necessary in our life to bring that to an end. 
in this parable, he's kind of using shock therapy to teach because it looks like Jesus praises someone who is diabolical. And the word diabolical is actually in this text. When it says in this, in verse 1, he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. So you got a picture. I kind of put a weird picture up here for you to see. There's a wealthy man and there's a manager here, and the manager's sweating because of this. And charges were brought to him that his man, that this man was wasting, and that word is the word diabolical. That's, this is, he is diabolical in the way he's going about it. And the reason this ties together with the, uh, I call this a prodigal manager, the dishonest manager, is because the word wasting here is the same concept from chapter 15 in the prodigal son. When you go back, he's squandering or he's devouring things. This man is wasting in a bad way his bosses or his owners or the manager of this large estate. He is wasting his funds. And again, I want to tell you that this is not insignificant money. What this man is wasting is incredible amount of resources. Today, we would be looking at, this would be in the millions and millions of dollars that this man is squandering, because he is the manager for a very wealthy, very wealthy owner who owns a lot. And the picture here is, it's a picture of God as the owner of everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. And this manager is wasting this. And so at the end of this verse, it says this, verse 2, it says, And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired. You're done. This is the end of your employment. It's a little bit different than they may do things today because if this was to happen to someone today in a major corporation, they would not tell you in verse 3 what he says. It says, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And so he says, I will, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And Jesus tells this story and he goes and, and says this in verse 5, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to, to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil, olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down, and write 50, pay half of it. Shrewd scheme. He goes on and he said, uh, in verse 7, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And then the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That's where people look at this story and say, is Christ commending the diabolical scheme of this man to waste this? And the answer that I would give you is no, he's not, but he's using shock therapy to get across the point here 
that he wants to get across, and what he's saying is the truth I'm about to teach is of significant importance, and you need to understand what I want to say to you. Now, to understand this basic scheme is this. In that day, what they would have been concerned most about was their honor. And this guy is saying, if I get fired, I'm either going to have to go out and dig in the fields, or I'm going to have to beg. And he said, I don't want to do either of that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to all these people, and what we have is we have relationships, and all of this transaction and business is taking place is based on honesty, and it's based on relationships. And so he goes to this one who owes this incredible amount, 100, uh, for the, the olive oil, and he says, pay me 50. And he goes to the one who owes for the uh, bushels of wheat, and he said, pay me 80. And he, and, and he gives them and says, pay me this. And what he's doing is this. He's doing stuff under the table, and what he wants to do is keep it quiet because he's saying, I'll only charge you half. I'll, only, I'll give you 20% discount, but let's not tell anybody because I'm going to keep this quiet that this all took place, but when I get done, you're going to owe me. You're going to owe me. And I don't want to expose you, we'll keep it quiet, that I took 50% off of your bill, you owe me. There's strings attached to what's taking place here. He said, I'm going to attach strings to this whole thing so that down the road, if I need a place, I can go to this person who owes me Say, look, I gave you 50% off. That was a ton of money. You owe me. And if you don't pay it, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to go back and tell the manager all this. And Jesus looks at this scheme, and he, and he, and he says to this guy, he says in verse number 8, look, he's so summoning his master's debtors one by one. Verse, verse number 8 says, the master commended this dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So what he says there is truthfully, he said, people in this world are very shrewd and know how to do things. And they know how to go about getting things done and they know how to cut the deals behind the scenes and they know how to manipulate and they know how to do this. And Jesus is saying all that manipulation that takes place and all that dishonesty that takes place behind the scenes, he said people are creative, people are shrewd, and people know how to make it happen. That's why in our day that you always hear this. You always hear people say, Wall, Wall Street, what a mess. Well, you know there's deals that go down behind the scenes and you know that the, the, the hamstring of capitalism is greed. And you know there are people in this culture who are sons of this world that know how to make it and know how to do things in ways that are dishonest, that hurt other people, that take from other people to be able to line their own pockets. And he said people are extremely shrewd and business people know how to do that. And Jesus capitalizes on that shrewdness and that creativity, if you would. And it looks like the, he is honoring them for doing such thing, but he's doing nothing of the sort. And there is wording in this text that's in the Greek language that we could show you that just shows this is dishonesty, this is not right, this is shrewd. But I want to come back and I want to teach you a principle. So in verse 9 he says this. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. That is a pretty powerful statement. 
Make eternal friends and use your wealth to do so. Saying buy them? No. Invest in it. Invest your wealth in ways that bring people to Christ. Now, I want to I get a little personal with you in this, because one of the things we do, and, I'm not a, and I'm all, I don't want to come across as being posers, but we say we, that's why we invest in missions. And I'll, I want you to know that I believe totally in investing in missions. Okay? But I want to bring this down to our level personally, because what this passage is teaching us is how am I investing so that I can build people in E-Town who, and beyond the surrounding areas of all around this place where this church lives, works, and breathes, how can we do investment? How can we use what God has given us, the resources that God has put into our care for us as a church here to build eternal friends? How can we do that? How can we do that? And that's the point of what Jesus is getting after in this. And he goes on and he says in verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Because you might say this, I don't have a lot of money. Jesus doesn't deal in this passage with how much you have, but he deals with this concept, but what are you doing with what you have? How many times over the course of our lifetime have we made excuses because we said we didn't have enough? It's not a good excuse. Because in this culture in which we live, everybody wants more. That's why, that's why people play lotteries. They want, they want, they want. Right? But Jesus doesn't want us to live in the realm of wanting he wants us to live in the realm of using what we have, not wishing we had more. Yeah, all of us wish we had more. All of us work hard to get more. That's the culture in which we live. But our mindset isn't that. Our mindset is how can we use what we have? And how can we invest what we already have been given to make eternal friends? Because this command in this, when he says in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. He's saying, this isn't for those that have a lot. This is for all believers. This is for all of us to understand. And one of the things about being bold is this, that the mindset of a believer is not that I want more. That's the mindset of the world. That's how the sons of men think. Our mindset in here is, I want more, I want more, I want more. No, it's this. I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to use it in what way I can to build eternal friends. So there's a sense in which it goes to, when, when he talks in Timothy, when Paul writes his book to Timothy, he says, be content be content. And the idea of that is be content with what you have. You see, one of the things that kills evangelism and one of the things that kills boldness is materialism. 
That's exactly where the Pharisees are in this story. They love money. We all know that the love of money is the the root of all evil. So Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you what you have. I'm asking you, are you bold enough to use what you already have to make eternal friends? That's pretty cool. Because you know the neatest part of that? The neatest part of that story is he wants to use all of us. He wants to use all of us. And he wants to use you. And he doesn't want you to sit there and say, well, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. He says, no. Our attitude is, what I have, I have. And I'm going to invest it. And I'm going to use it. Now, I'd like to just show you, as we wind this thing down, that there are basically a couple truths here that I want you to see. First of all, in this parable is this. You need an eternal perspective that takes precedent over a temporal perspective. You need to see things in the scope of eternity. You need to see beyond today. And if our eyes and our focus is just on what we get in this world and we fail to invest in the world to come, then what we have is we have a temporal focus and we need to develop an eternal focus. You need to understand that whatever you invest in the lives of people to try and build friendships and make eternal friends, you have to understand this, that every investment made here is recorded there. So keep an eternal perspective. I think that's what this path, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like that. Don't be the kind of, well, if I just had a little bit more. That's a Pharisee right there. If I just had a little bit more. Well, if you got us all together, all of us would say, oh, I wish I had more. I wish I had a little more. Who of us wouldn't say that? Because even when you get more, you want more. See? I mean, good grief. You're watching the NFL playoffs. Those guys are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. They're getting paid big bucks. But you know what the next one wants? The next guy, the next quarterback to sign wants a bigger contract than the biggest one the previous one signed. Right? And they base it on, well, that guy got that, so I need this. And I want more and more. We're not that. God, whatever you give me, help me to be content and use it because I see things through the eyes of eternity, not through the eyes of today. Second truth is this. Use your wealth or your money to make eternal friends. I I, want to encourage you. Super Bold is coming up. We call it Super Bold. We're going to take an event that takes place in our world that's really big, and we want to try and use it to build some relationships and friends. So we want you to be super bold and do this. Invite somebody else from church over. Invite some of your neighbors over. And just begin to build relationships because the key to evangelism is this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. And trust me, if you invite them over to your house for a super bold party, they will see it. They will see it. 
So how do you know? Well, just think about it. Because most of the parties they go to are going to be a whole lot different than your party. But it's just opportunities. Third truth, be creative in the use of your wealth and your money for God. Be creative. Think. How can I, how can you, what can I do, what can you do? Because what I do may be different than what you do. I told you before, for me, it's riding motorcycle. My riding motorcycle has opened up just relationships. But for you, you know, you may, I, we may not want you on our, a motorcycle with our group. Not, nothing against you. You may not want some of the others where you have a chance to invest and be creative. The last truth I give you is this. Make God the master of your life and submit every area to his lordship. Every area. It's taught in here. But I want to end this and I want to say, is God good? Because our focus this year has been on, is God good? Is God really good? Because at the end of the day, what people are going to argue, is God really good? If God was good, does he allow, why does he allow this stuff to happen that happens? And I want to end this and say to you today that God is really good. And I want to show you three ways that God is really good. And I just want to put them up here for you. Because, first of all, he invites your creativity. You know what God doesn't do? God doesn't make cookie-cutter processes and means. You know, when it comes to evangelism, it isn't just do this. When it comes to evangelism, it's this. Be you. The best thing that can happen in evangelism, oh, you can memorize verses. You can memorize some of these, you know, plans that are out there. I get it, the Roman road of salvation. You want to memorize that? It's great to memorize those verses because what happens is from time to time, You'll want to recall them and bring them up, and you can use them from time to time. It's great to do evangelism explosion. I get all that. But you know the best thing about evangelism is God just wants you to be you and to be creative. Be creative in your relationships. And God is good because he invites our creativity. When you think about God, the other day I was driving from the apartment I stay at down in Bainbridge up to E-Town. And I was driving, as I was driving up the road, it was early in the morning and the sun was coming up and the sun was, it was just absolutely gorgeous as sunsets have been all through this year, haven't they? And every time I see the sunset or every time I see it come up in the morning, although I thought of this, you know, red sky in the morning, sailors take, yeah, it's usually true, although it's not. But I thought, the ultimate artist is God. He can paint the sky in ways that none of us ever could. He can take the trees and he can turn the trees' colors and we stand there in awe of what God does. He is the most creative individual ever. And God's an artist. And God takes and uses it. And he calls us and he says this to us, sing a new song to the Lord. He wants every generation to write a new song. He wants every generation to be creative. 
He wants every generation to say, how can we exalt the glory of God? How can we tell about God? How can we communicate God? How can we get the message of God out there? And he invites us, the creative artists that created all of this, including us. And he says, use your creativity. That's a good God. You don't have to do it like somebody else did it. He doesn't want you necessarily to do it like somebody else did it. He wants you to be you. And he wants you to use what God has given to you to build and make friends for eternity. Say, so how can I do that? Be creative. <laughs> be creative. Secondly, he gives you liberty. I love this. Even in this passage, the Pharisees scoffed at him. So there's people in this story that are scoffing at him. There's people that are learning from him. There's people that are listening to him. He gives liberty to make choices and decisions. That's a good God. He didn't have to build it that way. And the last thing, and probably the neatest thing of this whole thing, is he'll use your efforts. He'll use you. You may never know the outcome. You may never know the impact of your life. In fact, you probably won't until you get to eternity because if God showed you the impact that your life is having, we couldn't fit our heads in this room. So he keeps us humble by realizing you plant, you water, you water, you plant, you do this, you do that, but God gives the increase but he uses you and he will use you. And there may be people that come to Christ that you never know anything about. I did a funeral a couple, uh, maybe two years ago. And at that funeral, a 40-year-old girl walked up to me. And she's married. She has a couple kids and she lives now in uh, North Carolina. And she says, I just want to thank you. I'm like, or what? She said, when I was a five-year-old girl, you came into our junior church time and you gave a little message. And she said, that day, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's some 40 years ago. And she said, I just want to thank you for coming into our little junior church time and sharing Christ. Guys, I didn't know anything about that until two years ago when she came up and said thank you. What's going to happen in your lives is you're going to invest in a relationship and you're going to invest in people and you're going to use your creativity and there's going to be eternal friends, but you may not meet some of them until you get into heaven and they walk up to you and say, I want to thank you for having that Super Bowl party that night because the night we had the Super Bowl party and you invited us over to your house and I watched and saw the people that were there. It began a journey for me that ultimately led me to Christ and I just want to thank you for having that Super Bowl party. And being creative and using the liberty that God has given you with an eternal mindset that we're not just having a Super Bowl party because at the end of the day nobody cares who wins the Super Bowl in the scope of eternity right <laughs> in the scope of eternity who wins a Super Bowl doesn't matter. But what if, just what if, 
as a result of having a couple people over in the scope of eternity, 10 people come to Christ in the course of time. That will make and that will matter in the scope of eternity. And so I challenge you to just be a little bit bold. Ask God to give you boldness and be brave. Take advantage of opportunities and just love on people and declare truth. And don't be afraid to declare truth. Whenever somebody asks why, answer it. Why this? Why this? Like your kids growing up. Why? Why? You know why they asked why? Real simple. Because they wanted to know why. Do you ever notice they never asked what or who? They always asked why. God programmed them that way, and we're still programmed that way. We want to know why. Get it? Good. God, thanks for the opportunity to serve you. Thanks so much for the privilege of knowing you through this redemptive relationship. And God, our desire here is that others will come to know you too. I pray that we'd understand that you call us not to be disgruntled where we're at or what we have, but to be content because we have an eternal perspective. Not to wish we had more, but to use what we have and invest it so that others can come to know you. It wants to be honorable in the way we do it. We're not looking to be dishonorable, but we're looking to be creative. And we want you to use us to bring people to yourself. So help us to be bold in our faith and help us to take advantage of those opportunities we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for sharing that with us. And I don't know about you, but as we sang this morning, we sang uh, one of my favorite songs, Christ is Enough. And I was thinking a little bit about that as, as Pastor Paul was, was sharing uh, from, uh, from Luke 16 this morning. And you know what? When Christ is enough in our life, we can be bold. We can be bold with the resource that he's given us to, to use it to, to impact eternity. We can be bold in how we choose to, uh, to do, uh, how we use our schedule. Uh, when Christ is enough, we can be bold. So as I was thinking about that and thinking about as, as Paul was, was preaching, that's the challenge for me. It's a challenge for us each and every day that when I wake up, is Christ enough? Because if he's enough, then that will encourage me to be bold. So as we leave here this morning, as we walk out these doors, as we have opportunities this week to, to interact and, and, and uh, rub shoulders with people, uh, let's ask ourselves, is Christ enough? If he is enough, then I will choose to be bold. And let's look for those opportunities, uh, even this week, to start thinking and, and interacting with people we can invite to, to our super bold party. But when Christ is enough, then we can be bold. And that's my hope and that's my prayer uh, for my life. It's a challenge. It's not always easy. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's easy to get wrapped up in this world. But uh, each and every day I need to ask myself, is Christ enough? And if he is, then I will be bold for him. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.